0: Welcome to the Wake Up Your Warrior podcast with me, Christine Cohen. Every week, we will share conversations with humans whose lives have been transformed by the power of movement on their mental health, break down the latest neuroscience, and hopefully inspire you to wake up your inner warrior to fight for the best versions of you every single day. Let's get into today's episode. First I wanted to share a story that inspired me, or I should say, I feel captures the reason why I do this, why I do what I do. And that story, you're gonna just, right off the bat, you're just gonna get to know me really well. We always just dive right in. So what we're gonna talk about today is really the most undervalued and overlooked cause of anxiety and depression. Through your really generous, um, uh questionnaires that you filled out and a lot of what you shared and I I was in this boat like I told you my idea of what caused depression and anxiety were all really based off of pharmaceutical commercials and just hearing the same things repeated over and over depression and anxiety are caused by a mental a chemical imbalance in the brain it's genetic it's in my family history my dad had it, my mom had it, my grandma had it, my aunts, you know, like it's there's a genetic connection there and you just had to live with it. There was nothing that you could do outside of going to therapy and taking antidepressant medications or anti-anxiety medications. Of course, there is the life um, experience impact, grief, trauma, um, things like that, childhood trauma, adulthood trauma, divorce, life experiences that can also impact our mental health. And really those were the only two reasons um, for mental health problems, anxiety and depression specifically is what we're talking about. But through my personal experience how I overcame my own struggles with anxiety and depression and binge eating, mixed a nice trio there, of course, <laughs> lovely trio, all three mixed together. But how I overcame them had, it didn't add up to what I understood and believed the cause to be. If it was a genetic thing inside my brain that was a chemical imbalance, how could the things that I did? without ever going on medication, and without ever seeing a therapist, helped me overcome them. All I did was exercise. All I did was improve what I was eating, and then eventually, like I got a little bit stronger, I got a little bit stronger, and layer after layer after layer, I started to build a stronger foundation. I started to address some of the psychological things that were really, um, bothering me that were stressful and but it really all stemmed from the uh the physical stuff like these lifestyle changes that I made and so then I just started diving deeper so as you can see on this screen there are like three categories of um causes to mental health I talked about the psychological right we talked about Um, life things, grief, childhood and adulthood trauma. And those are legitimate. Those are really, really, really important. And for us to go to therapy, there are so many different types of helpful therapies. It is so incredible. As well as to get any psychological, um, excuse me, any psychiatric support in terms of medications to help us. I am not against I just wanna say that full out. And I had a really amazing question from one of you guys asking, okay, so what do you mean that it's not a chemical imbalance but you know, uh, it still involves the brain? Or what do you mean it's not a chemical imbalance and how do antidepressants even really, do they even play a role? Like what is the role? So that was a really, really great question. And if I was just to address it really briefly, Um, Because we're going to get into a little bit more detail. I want to make sure I explain this clearly. There are things um, that are like psychological pretenders, we'll call them. Things that are happening physiologically in the body that are having an impact on our mental health anxiety symptoms, depression symptoms, brain fog, low energy, things like that. Those are the symptoms. Those are the things that we are feeling and experiencing. The psychological pretender part comes when these things are rooted in our body, not rooted in our brain and brain chemicals. So, for example, something is going on in the body that is impacting one of the mechanisms that does uh, that our mood comes from, that our energy comes from, that our ability to think clearly comes from. And there are a few different mechanisms. Some of those mechanisms do um, have a role with serotonin and dopamine and uh, neuroepinephrine and um, GABA and those neurotransmitters that do have a role in how we're feeling, what our mood is, um, how we're able to handle a situation, and what our body does in terms of when it's stressed out. So they are connected. I believe that people who feel an improvement when they go on um, SSRIs or other antidepressant medications and anti-anxiety medications, it does decrease their symptoms so that they can step forward into life and take the next step in terms of what it what they can do to improve their life. Right? They can. It helps them function. Um, if somebody does feel it, like you guys have, a lot of you guys have said that antidepressants have helped you. So what has it helped you with? It has helped you feel a little bit more energized. It probably has helped you feel a little bit more focused. Maybe it has lifted that really heavy darkness that you struggle with so that you can go and step forward and kind of live your life. In my perspective, that allows you to do more work to taking care of yourself in the deeper rooted reasons why you're experiencing these symptoms in the first place. So I hope that makes sense. That's why I kind of say that exercise was my antidepressant is my antidepressant It still is because it allows me to feel my best a little bit better that day to function so that I can continue to do the things to self-care for me um, so that I can do the things to get nutrients and nourishment into my body on the physical level, on the mental level, through my eyes, through my ears, right all of those things um, and it all works together. It all works together. So today, uh, we're going to talk about the most undervalued and overlooked cause of anxiety and depression, which is the physiological and biological aspect. And we're going to talk about this from a nutrition standpoint. Um, The third aspect, which is also often associated with anxiety and depression, is the spiritual aspect. And I think of this as what your purpose, what your feeling of, of purpose, of meaning is, in your life um, and how that guides you and how that moves you through your day. So the, the psychological and spiritual are the two most spoken about. The physiological, biological are what we're gonna get into today and let's get into it. Let me just make sure there's no questions. Okay, great. Okay, so depression and anxiety are a group of symptoms each of these is one disease one disorder but each of them have many causes so depression is one diagnosis but it has many causes same thing with anxiety it's one diagnosis but it has many causes so even though we see a lot of the same symptoms on the surface right represented by the leaves of the tree underneath When we get under the ground and we get to looking for what is the actual root of it in terms of the physiological, where it's residing, like what's happening in the body that's causing these symptoms on the surface, what are some of those things? So I listed them all for you right here. When it comes to the body, when it comes to nutrition, when it comes to the physiological reasons that... Are that the root of depression and anxiety? So not the psychological ones. We have nutrient deficiencies. And we're going to get into this a little bit deeper today. But things such as magnesium and copper and folate and B vitamins, omega-3, proteins, carbs, fats, specifically, um, certain ones as well. All of these nutrient deficiencies can cause depression and anxiety poor digestion. Digestion has many, many different parts. It starts in our mouth and ends, you know where. And if one of these parts is out of function or not optimal, we're not absorb we're not breaking down food that we're eating properly and we're not able to absorb it the full max. So even if we're eating, you know, the most whole food diet, right? Like let's just say we live on our own farm, right? Our own little organic farm and everything that we eat comes from what we make and what we grow, and the animals that we grow, right? So no conventional, no big company has touched it, right? It is pure. (laughs) It's pure, it's organic, no hormones, nothing, even if that's what we're eating. Ultimately, if our digestive system is off for some reason, we are not gonna be able to use that food to the best, most optimal way. So often you hear the expression, um, you are what you eat, well, in functional medicine, we like to say you are what you absorb. Because if some, if you're eating stuff, right, the good stuff, even, and you're not able to absorb it or break it down or utilize it in a proper way, you're going to be missing out. There's going to be a deficiency. You're going to see something happen that um, that won't, you know, won't feel optimal. So poor digestion. So that's in the stomach digesting. That's in the the small intestines. That's in the large intestines. All of those pieces have to be running well. Blood sugar imbalances are also another physiological root cause. And we're going to get into specifically why that impacts anxiety and panic attacks um, pretty damn hard, like pretty, like more than you probably even realize. I'm excited to talk about that today. Another root cause are food sensitivities, food intolerances, and food allergies. This deserves a presentation and a talk on its own, and it will, but just to break down the difference between these, a food sensitivity is an irritation that is happening or being exacerbated by a food. So often people might be sensitive to gluten because it's irritating something in their small intestines. It's irritating something in that system. They may not have a full-blown gluten allergy, which is celiac disease, but they do have a sensitivity to it. Often the sensitivity is not detected through the traditional um, lab testing for celiac disease, and it's not even able to be picked up on by an MRI or other scans of the gut, but there is a connection there, and these sensitivities don't just have to be a food. They can be a chemical. They can be a chemical on a food, right? That we spray our vegetables and and foods with so many chemicals these days, and we really do try our best to, um, you know, buy foods that aren't that are organic, that aren't genetically modified, etc. But we're experiencing chemicals whether it's on our food or whether we're putting it on our body or we're breathing it in in some way and that is causing sensitivities An intolerance would be like a dairy intolerance a lactose intolerance where something in the particular case of lactose an enzyme is missing or is not being produced enough to break down the lactose sugar into where it needs to go. And so it's staying in its bigger form. And when it stays in its bigger form, the bacteria that are in our gut um, like eat it up, but they don't process it properly. So then we get gas, we get bloating, we get all those really fun feelings that anyone with dairy intolerance, which um, is more and more prevalent these days, knows what that's like i am um i'm a little lactose intolerant definitely it's it depends on the quantity i eat so i actually try and reduce my dairy intake completely because i don't like feeling like that and also i don't want to increase any inflammation or irritate my gut make it even more sensitive to things that it has to do a lot of work to uh kind of prevent from hurting the rest of my body. Did you know that your gut health, your gut lining, is actually the first line of defense for any chemical, toxin, bacteria from getting into the rest of your body? It is a barrier. That is also why it is primary part of your immune system, um, because it is the first line of defense all right moving on medication side effects can also be at the root cause for symptoms of depression and anxiety then we have gut health weaknesses and imbalances i spoke about poor digestion but there are a lot of things that can weaken the gut Um, this can be an imbalance of bacteria in the gut health this could be um that Bacteria getting into places where it shouldn't be. So for instance with small intestinal bacterial overgrowth SIBO This is when the bacteria that's supposed to stay in the colon the large intestines creeps up into the small intestines and I know that sounds really thrilling and exciting and it actually wreaks so much havoc on the system a lot of people with um, IBS have this at the root of that. But because the gut is so important and such a connection to the brain, which we'll get into in a little bit, this really, really everything, whenever I work with somebody um, one-on-one or in a group, we start by looking at their gut and optimizing their gut health as well as optimizing what they're eating. First line, like always the first step. Other physiological root causes, chronic stress and inflammation. Again, this deserves a conversation all its own because what even, what is, even does it mean? <laughs> chronic stress and inflammation, right? It's such, it was such a hard concept for me to grasp that I really want to teach it properly. But think about it like this. If you think about the gums in your mouth, right? And you know when they're kind of inflamed yeah it like they're very sensitive if you brush your teeth it, it hurts right if you eat certain things it hurts right that's inflammation in that gum okay so just think about like it's soft it's sensitive think about now inflammation in your intestines right imagine that same sensitivity irritation feeling on the inside of your body so there are going to be certain things that the gut is going to be even hypersensitive to when it's inflamed what's causing the inflammation we can go into it in another video in more detail but things like toxic chemicals things like food sensitivities things like um, uh, gluten and dairy uh, known foods um, that are inflammatory in the body. So if you kind of just think of it like that, but it—I will go into it in further detail in a future video. And if you're interested in learning more about that, please let me know in the comments. All right, we're getting—we're getting down. See, there's a lot of root causes. It's not just about starting in the head. We got hormonal imbalances. Um, Any woman who experiences PMS or even more intensely PMDD, any woman who's going through perimenopause or is in menopause and has felt the physical impact of estrogen and progesterone imbalances or going up and down throughout their cycle is going to have this as a personal experience, it doesn't mean that you have depression or anxiety. If you have hormones, you know, doing their thing, and you feel, um, and you feel the impacts of it. Again, it's rooted in that hormonal imbalance. Um, we have infections, we have illness, we have genetic vulnerability. There are certain people who are uh, have genetic predisposition to producing, for instance. Um, either too much dopamine or too little dopamine um, which has an impact on our mood our motivation etc there is another gene that is really common um, that has to do with our ability to process folate which is a B vitamin and if these people do not take the proper type of folate they will experience depression symptoms but they The solution for that is to get them on the right kind of folate. So that would be an example of a genetic vulnerability. Autoimmune disease, Hashimoto's, especially things that impact the thyroid can also impact our depression and anxiety symptoms and be at the root cause. And then being sedentary, not moving or exercising can also be at the root of this. So one disease, many causes. I know that was a lot of information. We're gonna break down a little bit more today. So the things that really um, focus on when it comes to nutrition, anxiety and depression, are nutrient deficiencies, gut health issues, and at the bottom of that, chronic stress and inflammation when it's in the gut. Today, I really wanted to talk about as much as I could but I realized that if I wanna give you guys proper information, I need to break it down. Kiss, right, keep it simple, silly. So today we're gonna focus on nutrient deficiencies and how to optimize your diet, meaning what you eat, to help support or reduce depression and anxiety, okay. So, Nutrient deficiencies, depression, and anxiety. Right here, I listed a bunch of minerals as well as vitamins, as well as the macronutrients that are directly connected to our mental health. Copper, iron, magnesium, zinc, omega-3 fish oil, vitamin B12, folate, vitamin D, carbohydrates, protein, and fat. So it is very common that I see either the cause of depression or anxiety coming from a mix of some of these things, right, a combination of some of these things, or the, des- the anxiety and depression are being exacerbated by a deficiency in a mix of some of these things. Vitamin D, I'm sure you've heard more than ever over the last year and a half. It is so important to our every function, almost every function in our body and is vital for our mental health. Same thing with magnesium, which is probably one of the most known deficient minerals when we do lab testing. Magnesium often comes up as deficient, just like vitamin D often comes up as deficient as one of the most deficient vitamins um, that we are not getting, either from the food that we're eating, the sun in the case of vitamin D, or supplementation. We're gonna get into a little bit deeper um on how nutrition really does impact depression and anxiety. So I pulled up a, a few studies. So, uh sorry for the text issue, but in a 2017 um huge review of about 17 different studies on diet and mental health. Um they wanted to create understand if there's a strong connection between a whole food diet and a decreased risk of depression. Whole food diet meaning foods that are grown from the earth have no processing to them, um, come from the land, feed off the land, etc. The study found that the dietary interventions were most effective um, when they were likely to involve a registered dietitian, someone like me, that was actually less likely. This is a little hard to, to, I'll just summarize it. So, there was a strong connection between eating a whole food diet and a decreased risk of depression, number one. Number two, it was even more likely um, to, when it was involved by consulting with a registered dietitian, um, that was less likely to recommend limiting meat intake. So that means they recommended eating meat, they encourage a leaner protein inclusion in their meal plan, and did not promote a low cholesterol diet. Okay, So did not promote low cholesterol in terms of what they're eating, encouraged eating leaner protein, and did not recommend limiting meat intake were all associated with a decreased risk of depression. So that was one study. A uh, 2009 study looking at the Mediterranean diet, which again, whole food-based, more fish, um, whole food vegetables, etc., whole food carbohydrates. Over 10,000 individuals participated in the study. Participants who adhered to the most to a mediterranean style diet were 30 percent less likely to be diagnosed with depression during the four-year study period the relationship between depression and food found that the higher intake of fruit nuts monounsaturated fats such as olive oil and legumes which are beans etc were um, less so the higher intake of those things were associated with less risk of depression all right in 2012 this one's really interesting in 2012 a study in australia on a thousand australian women um, found that red meat intake was extremely important for the prevention of depression this one this fact really blew my mind because We were really taught that red meat was like, stay away, toxic, do not eat, cut it out, right? Like cut it out of your diet. But really, researchers observed women who consumed the least amount of red meat were twice as likely to be diagnosed with depression or anxiety disorder compared to those who ate the recommended amount. A connection was not found between mental health and other forms of protein, such as chicken, pork, or fish. It was really the red meat that made this decrease in depression. Even when vegetarian women were removed from the analysis, the results remained. Those that ate the least meat were more likely to be diagnosed with depression. So why would that be? What is it about red meat that could potentially help with root causes of depression when it comes to nutrients. Let's get into that. A 2018 study analyzed creating an antidepressant food score for all foods. The highest scoring foods for helping to prevent depression were oysters and shellfish, organ meats, fish, dark leafy greens like watercress, spinach, lettuce, Swiss chard, herbs, and kale, colorful vegetables like pumpkin and red peppers, and cruciferous vegetables. So that is super interesting, especially about the organ meats. So what is it about these foods that can fit into our our new understanding of how nutrient deficiencies, especially the ones that I listed before, could be connected to causing depression anxiety. The reason is because the nutrients of most important for the prevention and treatment of depression are folate, iron, omega-3s, and specifically the EPA omega-3 over the DHA, and that's very important and very new science, magnesium, potassium, thiamine, selenium, vitamin A, vitamin B6, vitamin B12, vitamin C, and zinc. Now, we can get a lot of these vitamins from a lot of the foods that were listed below. And red meat, going back to the study on the correlation between eating more red meat and having less risk of depression, um, is what has almost all of these vitamins and minerals in it. Now, when it comes to meat of any kind, organic, grass-fed, or grass-finished, that is where I pretty much draw the line. And that, yes, it is more expensive. And yes, it is harder to come by, depending on where you live. Um, and yes, it is unfair <laughs> that it is more expensive, even though this is how it, o- it, it it always was before conventional food, Right, big food came in and started. Um, Processing it and adding hormones and adding chemicals and adding and making it so that they could mass produce this stuff. But um, if you are going to start increasing any meat, whether it's red or chicken or fish, you want it to be organic, grass-fed, or grass-finished. And when it comes to fish, wild-caught. And if that means you need to make shifts um, in what you're budgeting... I would recommend that. If that is out of your budget, I would consider not eating red meat, not eating conventional hormone—you know, the whole nine yards—forms um, of steak and beef, etc. And I would instead supplement with a high-quality supplement to ensure that I was getting all of these vitamins and minerals um, in my in my uh, everyday in my diet, for instance, through supplementation. So I want to um, just kind of pause here and just see where we're at, see how you guys are taking in this information. I know it is a lot, but I know that you guys are taking notes and you will always be able to ask me questions. I want to get into some more practical things and really connect why proteins, carbs, and fats have such an impact on our mental health and nutrition okay so let's dive into protein first since we've kind of been talking about it already so when it comes to protein and the brain the, the building blocks of protein are called amino acids and there are 20 different amino acids and some of them we actually produce in our body But specifically, there are nine essential amino acids that we cannot produce on our own that we need to get through what we are eating or consuming. And those nine essential amino acids are histidine, isoleucine, leucine, lysine, methionine, phenylalanine, threonine, tryptophan, and valine. Now, you don't have to have these memorized, but I wanted to share them with you because I'm going to make a connection to anxiety and depression in just a second. So amino acids are central to doing many things, building our muscles, forming our hair, our skin, our nails, and the connective tissue in our body, so the tissue underneath, but that connects our muscles, our joints, our fascia. But they are also central to making neurotransmitters, brain chemicals. So if we are not consuming protein, specifically these essential amino acids, through our diet, we are not able to properly make the neurotransmitters, the brain chemicals, that are responsible for us thinking and feeling our best. So I'm going to make a quick connection in two different ways for this. So comment below if you've heard of the neurotransmitter, serotonin. Serotonin is known as the happy hormone, but it actually has a lot more of a role, um, bigger than just making us happy. That's kind of a misconception that goes along with the brain chemical imbalance. Um, It's a calming neurotransmitter. It's an overall well-being neurotransmitter, um, and it plays a strong role in our mood. But it also, so I'm gonna just draw this connection for you. Serotonin, which the majority of it is actually made in our gut. Yes, the majority of a brain chemical is made in our gut, just one of the ways that the gut and brain are connected. So if we are one, not consuming a proper amount of protein, the proper type of protein, and we are not able to absorb, digest that protein, if we have an imbalance of bacteria in our gut that's not properly doing its job, we're not making the amount of serotonin in our gut. That serotonin might not make it up in the proper amounts to our brain to do the job it needs to do. Another connection of serotonin's role is to create melatonin which is the hormone of sleep. Melatonin helps us fall asleep at night and its precursor is serotonin. So if we're not in, um in, if we are not creating enough serotonin, we're not creating enough of the hormone melatonin to help us fall asleep at night. Now how does this relate to protein? Well, if we go back up the road a bit we're gonna see this chemical this weird weird word over here tryptophan now most people recognize the word tryptophan because it's the joke on thanksgiving in america that if you eat too much turkey you're gonna have this huge surge in tryptophan and then you're gonna fall asleep does that sound familiar Right? Like everyone's always tired after Thanksgiving, after the meal, and needs to take a nap. And the theory, but it's not accurate, the joke is you eat so much turkey, and turkey has a high concentration of tryptophan in it that you induce your melatonin and you fall asleep. So that's the connection there. But truly, even though that's a joke, to like to just zoom out a bit, There is truth to it. So tryptophan is one of those essential amino acids. We can't get it unless we eat it in our food. When, if we're not eating the food that has tryptophan in it, or we're not eating enough protein, or we're not absorbing it, or we're not digesting it well, we are not going to have the tryptophan to create the serotonin which does play a role in our anxiety and depression. So this is one example of how protein is essential for making our neurotransmitter, serotonin specifically. Another example is in the production of dopamine. Dopamine is best known as the hormone, or excuse me, as the neurotransmitter of motivation. When we feel like we have a decrease in motivation, it could be because of a dopamine connection. So dopamine is the um, is the motivation neurotransmitter. Now, how does this relate to protein and that essential amino acid? Well, if we go up the river, right? We go up the road. We're gonna see this funky name, phenylalanine, and this is one of our nine essential amino acids that we need to get. Through what we eat if we're not consuming it if we're not eating enough protein if we're not able to absorb digest, yada 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 down the down the river we are not going to have that building block to create dopamine and there could be a lower amount of dopamine getting to our brain and doing the job that dopamine needs to do so that's w- another example of how nutrition relates to our neurotransmitters and relates to our mood so it is not just a dopamine deficiency or a serotonin deficiency in the case of the other one for a genetic reason or for no reason um, it's just happening it is directly connected to nutrition what we're eating and how our body is utilizing what we're eating optimally Let me know if that is clear for you guys, because we're going to go on to fats in a second. Okay. All right. So did you know that the brain is the fattest organ in the body? The brain loves fat. It's actually made up of 50% of fat. So fats... Is very important in terms of the function of our brain and function in terms of the function of how our brain is doing its job, which it has a lot of jobs. All right, so I'm going to just dive right into the fats that are the best for the brain because, as we know, there are a lot of choices for fats out there, and when it comes to what's best for your brain, we want the most, um, uh, the most whole food based fats that we can get. So I know that you've heard of trans fats. I know that you have heard of hydrogenated vegetable oils. I know that you've heard of canola oil. I know that you've heard of palm seed oil. I know that you've heard of what else do we got? We got, um, peanut oil, we have um, safflower oil, we have rapeseed oil. All of these oils are what's called um, processed seed oils. And these are the highest inflammatory oils out there. And it is remarkable how many food products are made with these oils. Because I keep an eye out for them, I see them everywhere canola oil is the base of most dressings unless you find a really good source that is using avocado oil or olive oil these processed seed oils specifically canola oil palm oil sunflower oil are the base for a lot of like chips or food products that you'd find in bags and boxes It is wild Um, when it comes to ice cream or other frozen foods, other desserts, um, this is the primary fats that are used in those foods. So we want to bring it on home, bring it on down to the whole food best sources. We have olive oil, coconut oil, ghee or butter. Ghee is just an unrefined uh, type of butter coconut cream, avocado, nuts and seeds, and of course fatty fish, specifically salmon, sardines, anchovies, and mackerel. Why these specifically? Uh, Because they have the highest concentration of omega-3 fish oils. They have high vitamin D. They are also the least amount to be contaminated with uh, toxins and heavy metals like mercury or arsenic. And um, those are the main main reasons why these are recommended over others. So I mentioned before the connection of omega-3 fish oils and mental health and depression specifically. When I learned this next slide, it excited me so much. And I just thought, this is amazing so what is it about omega-3 fish oil and brain health specifically to help depression um, but also any other cognitive issues that is so important so new research shows that an increased intake of specifically the epa type of omega-3 if you look on your omega-3 fish oil bottle, if you have it, you're going to see two types of fish oils on the nutrient label. One is going to be EPA and the other is going to be DHA. And it's going to probably have like a one to one ratio of both. So they'll probably be around depending on the type of fish oil you have, they're probably around 300 milligrams each. So 300 EPA 300 DHA, something like that on average. What Research has found is specifically high doses of EPA over DHA matches SSRIs in relieving depression symptoms. Yeah, so taking a very high amount of EPA can help drastically with depression symptoms taking epa can also lower the effective dose of an ssri if you are someone who's taking an ssri antidepressant medication taking in i'm going to tell you a specific fish oil supplement with a higher amount of epa to dha you the effective dose of that ssri that's helping you can also be less so You would take less and the other positive is you have less side effects, less nasty side effects of antidepressant medication. So specifically, um, taking one to 2,000 milligrams of EPA has been seen to relieve depression symptoms. So there are a few omega-3 supplements that have a higher concentration of EPA compared to DHA. So it would be like, a two to one ratio so it'd be double the amount of epa to dha Um, i recently bought one of course it's downstairs um, but it is i think it's a thorn product t-h-r-o-n-e which is a phenomenal quality supplement brand i'm not affiliated with them i just want the best for myself so i look for the best and i will always share that with you so that is um a really great note to take note of so 1000 to 2000 milligrams of epa a day has been seen to relieve depression symptoms so and anything that i share today Please, um, if you are seeing a medical professional, and most especially if you are on any type of medication, you need to check with your doctor before you add these things in, um, especially with something like EPA or omega-3, because if it's making the SSRI more effective, um, then you won't need to take as much, and you would want to share that information with your doctor so that they can adjust the dosage, okay? right we're gonna move on let me just take a sip of water we're gonna move on to carbohydrates we know that there are carbs that are packed with nutrients we'll call them whole food carbs they're here on the left side of the screen everything from vegetables to fruit to grains like oats and rice and quinoa to potatoes sweet white whatever um i know there's pasta here this let's just blank out the pasta because I wanted it to be all whole foods on the left side. And on the right side, we have our sugars. And honestly, pasta and bread could also be on the right side of the screen with the cake and the gummies and the sweets and the sugar and the ice cream as well because they break down so fast and so easily to sugar in our body that they act very similar to all the sweets and desserts and things that are high processed, high sugar in general. So carbohydrates, but they're all under the umbrella term of carbohydrates. I think most of us know this. So how does carbohydrates connect to anxiety and depression? So I'm going to teach you about a term called reactive hypoglycemia, which is basically when our blood sugar crashes fast. That's why I have a lovely picture of a roller coaster because we have highs and we have hard drops. We have highs and we have hard drops. So when it comes to hypoglycemia, or when it comes to our blood sugar, it's really important um, that we have balanced blood sugars. Why? Because blood sugar and cortisol are inversely related, meaning when blood sugar goes up, Cortisol comes down. Cortisol is a stress hormone and it causes a chain reaction of things to happen that leave us with anxiety, that can leave us with the most extreme of panic attacks, um, and we can live in a high chronic cortisol state for a while and we're kind of always in this chronic stressed state. So stress is not just a psychological term, it is very much a physiological term, even more so um, a physiological term than just being stressed mentally there's a physiological component to it. So, when we eat food, right, and our blood sugar spikes, the question is how fast does it come down? Are we are we on a high roller coaster, right, where we're spiking high, we're going up and then it's like a deep drop and it is fast and it is crazy and for those of you who like adrenaline on a roller coaster, well, in real life, you're also getting an adrenaline spike. Literally you're also getting an adrenaline spike even in life. When you eat that, you have a high spike in blood sugar and a deep drop shortly thereafter. Um, the, the way that we want this to look is a nice gradual little like baby roller coaster, right? Like a three-year-old's roller coaster. (laughs) Little drops, little dips, little drops, little dips. Um, So the question is how quickly does glucose drop after the initial spike after eating? The rate that glucose is dropping is what can trigger anxiety. So how does this happen? Okay, so a basic guide to blood sugar and anxiety. So we're gonna start right here so we eat something high in refined flour carbohydrates sugar this can be cereal this can be a muffin this can be a meal of pasta with sauce um just trying to throw out random meals but it breaks down into glucose and floods into our bloodstream right this is this is normal then our blood sugar levels spike our pancreas releases insulin which helps bring glucose blood sugar from the bloodstream into our muscles, into our liver, into our fat cells to be used or stored as energy. Okay? Still good. This is what's supposed to happen. But then we hit that crash and that blood sugar comes down hard. Blood sugar levels crash. This, take note of these symptoms, fatigue, depression-like symptoms, brain fog. I'm also going to throw out to you jitteriness, heart racing sweating not being able to make a decision feeling anxious Um, all of these feelings which we interpret as anxiety which are anxiety symptoms but are not being caused by anything but a nutrient a a nutrition um, impact so to help rebalance from that crash the brain asks our adrenal glands to produce our stress hormone cortisol, which we spoke about. So cortisol then is going to go up and surge, and this is something that's also going to increase our adrenaline, creating jitteriness, making us feel dizzy, making us feel angry and hungry and irritable, and all of those symptoms associated with anxiety. This can also cause a panic attack. Yes, it can. I'm going to share that in a second. Cravings will also happen here because our blood sugar has dropped so low and cortisol has spiked. Cravings for quick carbs and sugar fixes hit hard. So for those of us, especially who struggle with binge eating or struggle with, um, having really intense cravings for sweets, this could be a connection. I just also want to comment that another correlation with this is not just eating a high refined sugar or high refined carb meal, but it can also be triggered by not eating. So for those of us who don't eat breakfast, who go long periods without eating, and I'm saying more than three hours without eating something, so even if you had breakfast and then you went four or five hours didn't eat again until 3 p.m., this is connected because the blood sugar will dip, the cortisol will spike, and then the rest will happen. The last uh, little piece here is that our blood sugars, oh, sorry, I didn't finish here. So our solution, right, is to eat more eat again. We are craving sweets. We're craving carbs. So we're going to have that sugary processed food. In this, what's happening in the brain here is we've actually changed into survival mode. So the decision part of our brain, our personality, the one that wants to make all good choices for us actually takes a back seat when cortisol spikes because we're going into fight or flight. Fight or flight. The primal brain takes over, and if you've ever felt like Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde, when it comes to food, you're like, I'm good all day, and then all of a sudden, after 3 p.m., I'm like, you know, in the cabinets, like, eating all the food, and I can't even control myself, that is an example of your primal brain taking over. If anyone struggles with binge eating, and this sounds familiar, um, we can talk more about this, but primal brain, fight or flight, survival mode, go ham and eat all the food this again will cause blood sugar levels to rise and the cycle just perpetuates the symptoms worsen and we can literally induce anxiety attacks or panic attacks uh since we're talking about panic attacks i'm just going to go right to this slide 95 uh, so first of all there's a great book if you're interested in really deep diving on your own, called Fuel Your Brain, Not Your Anxiety, but a lot of this information that I've learned from Dr. Kristen Allett is going into the program I'm creating when it comes to um, reactive hypoglycemia and anxiety. But she studies this, um, this is her work. She studies this, um, and the results are amazing. Um, She says that 95% of panic attacks occur when you go long stretches without food, don't eat breakfast or have a high sugar meal. She also shares it's really hard to have a panic attack after you just ate a full meal. And for those of you who do experience panic attacks, I'm curious to hear what your experience is personally in this area because Dr. Kristen Allitt says it is really hard to have a panic attack after you just ate a full meal. And if you think about that, right, a full meal, we have protein, we have carbs, we have fats our what you just learned about blood sugar we have a nice balance of blood sugar there's no hard crashes it's really hard to have a panic attack because we're not in that panic primed fight-or-flight state physiologically usually three-plus hours after a meal or surely eating something high in sugar would put you at more risk for anxiety or a panic attack that's straight from her book fuel your brain not your anxiety have any of you or do any of you wake up in the middle of the night like often maybe around like 2 3 a.m. and then you're just up, right? You're just like I can't fall back to sleep. Maybe you even experience anxiety, maybe you experience like heart palpitations or your mind starts racing and you can't stop thinking. I mean, I I would be shocked if nobody has felt that before, has experienced that before. I have. I have personally experienced that. It used to keep me up for hours and I would have um, like fluttering in my chest and I did not understand what it was. So another thing that Dr. Kristen Allett teaches is the, the correlation, the connection between middle of the night anxiety or middle of the night waking up um, and nutri- and nutrition and what we're eating. Another question is, do you wake up? in the morning with anxiety? Do you wake up in the morning feeling anxious or feeling worried or feeling overwhelmed like right off the bat? Well, a connection could be because your blood sugars are dropping overnight. If your blood sugars are dropping overnight and often this happens around that 3 a.m. time, because we either did not eat enough nutrients during the day or we have been eating too much high processed carb sugar food where our blood sugar is not able to sustain us through the night and so the body is just doing what it's evolutionarily designed to do when the blood sugar drops the body is going to release cortisol when we release cortisol the body is able to produce glucose from our energy stores. So it's gonna tap into our muscles um, to produce new glucose so that we can bring our blood sugars back into balance. This is actually a life-threatening thing. When our blood sugars drop too low, it is a life-threatening thing. So the body kicks in to primal evolutionary mode. It spikes cortisol. Now for those of you who don't know, cortisol, we, is a great hormone. It actually does a lot of good for us. One of the good things it does for us is allow us to wake up in the morning. Yeah, it's the wake-up hormone. A cortisol is highest, should be highest in the morning. In the first half hour of waking, cortisol is at its highest, and then it gradually comes down throughout the day. And when it's at its lowest, we're allowed; uh, it allows us to fall asleep because melatonin is produced, and then we fall asleep. But if cortisol is spiking too early in the middle of the night because our blood sugars are too low, well, then we're going to wake up too early. And if cortisol spikes, and I just described to you that feeling uh, that you get when cortisol surges, which is anxiety, dizziness, anger, worry, and adrenaline's going to boost, which is going to increase our heart rate, those are all the exact uh, ingredients for anxiety, or maybe even a panic attack. So what the heck do we do? How do we help ourselves with this? So a solution is to nourish yourself more throughout the entire day, to increase your proteins, to increase your healthy fats that we spoke about before. Another thing to help, um, that would be like a long-term habit to start introducing into your life so that this can be a a new foundation for you to have a solid blood sugar balance. Um, But in the moment, like in an emergency situation, keeping juice and nuts next to your bed can be helpful to help you fall back asleep quicker rather than being up for hours because your cortisol is spiked. So if you were to have some juice, just like literally a couple ounces, not a full glass, just a couple ounces, and even a few nuts, this can help um, raise your blood sugars back up, which in turn will help you fall back asleep. Um, Another solution can be to have some protein before you go to sleep, not a full meal, literally like an ounce of turkey, like a slice of turkey, um, a a small piece of chicken, um, a spoonful of nut butter, something like that to help sustain your blood sugar throughout the night. Two very simple examples that really go a long way, and you might notice a difference just by doing um, the few things I suggested here in just a matter of a few days, seriously. Okay, so let's all take a deep breath because that was a lot of information. (laughs) I hope that it was helpful information, um, useful information, tactical information, and also, of course, clear and, and digestible. So as much as I wanted to really dive into how the gut is connected to the brain in detail, I realized we're going to be here for a whole another hour at the least if I do that. And so if this is a topic that you want to understand more in depth, please share what you want to know more about. Um, what questions come up for you when you think about gut health? and how that could impact the rest of your body. Inflammation, stuff like that. Because one, I'll be creating a full-on module for this in my course. Not just to teach you this, you know, like just so you know it, but so that you can understand how your own personal life is being affected and potentially maybe there's a gut health issue. Remember we talked about gut health starts in the mouth and ends... You know where, so it's got a long way to go. So, what in your gut, um, in your digestion process, could potentially be off or imbalanced that is um, causing issues downstream? Okay, but these are a few ways. I'm just gonna kind of like tease you, <laughs> tease you with it. These are a few ways the gut and brain are connected. So, first of all, if you have, did you know that the gut is Nicknamed the second brain, yeah, it's done. It's known for that for a few reasons. Um, one, because it is the the majority of our immune system. Okay, it is the first line of defense um, for anything getting into our body outside of our skin, um, and it produces many of the neurotransmitters that we need for proper brain functioning. The gut is responsible for nutrient breakdown and absorption. I kind of touched on this at the beginning, but even if we're eating, you know, the most perfect diet, which is pretty much impossible these days, um, but even if we're eating, you know, no inflammatory foods, we've identified all our food sensitivities and food intolerances and food allergies, and we're not having those foods, and we are supplementing properly with what we need, and we are getting, you know, whole foods in on a regular basis and truly nourishing ourselves. If there's a problem in the gut, whether in the digestive system or in the stomach, in the small intestines, in the large intestines, yada, 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 we're not able to absorb. We are not what we eat. We are what we absorb. The gut creates neurotransmitters. Is also touched on this. Serotonin and dopamine, we talked about how protein is directly related to the creation of these two vital neurotransmitters. of our immune system is in our gut. So part of that is responsible, one, the gut lining has to be strong, but it's only one cell thick. Yeah, the gut, the small intestinal lining is only one cell thick, that's it. But it is strong as a mother. But (laughs) it also um, is responsible for letting the good stuff through to our bloodstream and the rest of our body and keeping the bad stuff in the intestines. But when we do things that inflame our gut, remember we talked about the gums and the inflammation in our intestines and how that can like kind of look the same if you can picture it. Well, it also weakens that one cell lining. And when the cell lining is weakened, things start to get through that aren't supposed to. So things like food particles, things like bacteria, things like chemicals, um, things like inflammatory uh, neurotoxins that are safe if they stay in our gut, but if they get through into our bloodstream, then they have access to the whole body, including the brain. Um, This is one of the reasons why having a really healthy balance of bacteria, good bacteria over the not good bacteria is so important because they play such a role, one, in breaking down nutrients, Two, in being that immune system. Three, in fighting, you know, keeping the toxins out. They have so many vital roles. Um, if anyone's ever had SIBO, that small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, where the bacteria creeps up into the small intestines where it's not supposed to be, it's supposed to stay in the colon, um, this can start to wreak havoc. If you've ever heard of the term leaky gut, which can come along with those irritants those sensitivities that inflammation in our um, gut health we can start to leak, like I shared before, leak food particles and bad bacteria and neurotoxins and all those things into our bloodstream where they can then have access to the rest of our body, cause inflammation elsewhere, especially in our brain. So just like there's leaky gut, there's also leaky brain, which is where things that are not supposed to be able to get through the blood-brain barrier, from our blood to our brain, there's, there's holes, there's leaks, and it can. And then we start to get inflammation in the brain, which can cause a slew of other cognitive issues, including depression. Autoimmune disorders are directly connected from the gut to the brain. Um, The autoimmune disorder Hashimoto's thyroiditis is a big connector here. This is often caused by that leaky gut issue, which comes back to gluten and even if it's not a gluten allergy it's a gluten sensitivity or gluten intolerance and this connects to Hashimoto's thyroid if we have low thyroid that can directly cause depression food sensitivities intolerances, and allergies which I test on and the last thing is poor vagal nerve tone so vagal nerve is a nerve that starts in the brain but it literally um, the word is innervates, but it literally connects to pretty much every single organ and part of our body, um, and a big. This is a big communication pathway or highway from the brain to the gut brain to the gut, gut to the brain, brain to the gut, back and forth, back and forth, which is where this communication aspect comes right here. So when I spoke about vagal stimulation, right, and toning the vagus nerve, um, a lot of you showed interest in understanding what this means and how this is connected. Well, this is a really powerful way to also improve the connection from the gut to the brain, the brain to the gut as well. Um, So there's a lot that goes into this. This is just a little teaser. But I did want to leave you with some actionable items that kind of stem from what we talked about today. So, when we talk about optimizing what we can do in terms of our nutrition on a very basic level, very basic level, you guys, because like I said, what works for me is not necessarily going to work for the next person, the next person, the next person. My job is to help you discover what does work for you and what doesn't work for you, and how to be your own detective to really start to make these changes for example getting adequate protein getting good fats getting ample vegetables well for some of us that could be all vegetables right that could be we're they're vegetables what could be wrong with vegetables well for some of us who either have an infection going on or a certain type of inflammation in our gut um specifically SIBO there are certain vegetables that are not um that that you kind of need to take out for a little while until that inflammation and that bacterial overgrowth calms down. So it's not a forever thing, but it is a therapeutic diet. It is something that you would do for a certain amount of weeks until that gut, that gum inflammation, but gut inflammation goes down and we address the root of it. So even in these, there are very specific things that each person would need to do. And I covered, I'm i going to cover that so in depth so you exa- know exactly what steps you need to do. Like, OK, I got SIBO, X, Y, and Z. This is what I need to do. These are the the lab tests I need to get. This is the foods I need to avoid for a few weeks. This is how I'm going to do X, Y, and Z. These are the supplements I need to take. It's going to be really clear because this can get very overwhelming. I get it. Um, Going caffeine free. I apologize if I really offended anyone with that. I know that I don't go caffeine free. I love coffee, um, but it's not because I need it to wake up, it's because I truly love it. But caffeine, as we all know, has a direct impact on how we're feeling, our anxiety. So um, that is a very, um, something I suggest highly but again all of these things don't have to be done overnight they are done slowly and steadily whenever you make changes to your lifestyle I want you to feel like you gain something from it I want you to see the benefits the things that are um, enhancing your life not like your life is gonna be less not like you have to sacrifice not like you're giving up something whenever we look at our changes our choices as enhancing an abundance we're going to want to do it we're going to be excited to do it because we know how much better we feel when we do it but until you're at that mindset then we take it really really slowly until you know as you are adapting to change let's put it that way we talked about balancing blood sugars i gave you a lot of examples for how to do that Um, I mentioned gluten-free, this is kind of like an if necessary thing, but gluten is very uh, inflammatory and a lot of people do have symptoms of it, Um, excuse me, not symptoms of it, they do have uh, reactions to it. Dairy-free, again, if necessary, but dairy is one of the more inflammatory foods out there. And then supporting gut health, which is a whole other discussion, and again, something I'll get into in a little bit more detail in our future talks. Okay, everyone take a nice deep breath in because I need to. <sighs> thank you so much for, um, one, listening, making it to the end, and two, like, thank yourself for showing up and taking the care to learn about how you can help yourself. It might be the harder thing in the short term, but in the long term, it is the easier thing it is the thing that makes us feel more alive like we can live our life without this like impending fear of doom so we can start to trust our body so we can start to literally listen to the cues and the messages our body's sending us and understand what's happening that's why I go into the science and the mechanism a little bit because it gives you that information as to why this is happening not just do this do that right like eat fats Eat healthy fats, eat proteins, eat certain carbohydrates. I could say that all day, but until you understand how it relates to you, your life, your issues, your symptoms, and how it can enhance your life if you make these changes, it's really hard to get motivated to do it. Otherwise, it literally just sounds like everything else out there. So um, I'm always going to share that information with you so you can become more empowered in your own health across the board. So thank you so much for listening. Um, I'm going to send an email follow-up, but I would I'd love to hear from you. One, what did you get from this, just information-wise? What was clear? What was not clear? What would you like more understanding about? What concept did I share that like kind of went over your head that was a little bit difficult to grasp? I want to make my communication with you really understandable. Um, I know a few of you mentioned having a worksheet or having workbooks would be super helpful. Um, That I am going to make happen. Um, If not for this, for the program for sure. And uh, what information style do you like to learn in? Do you like the visuals? Would you prefer just to have an audio? Um, Would you prefer interaction? Um, Things such as that. So yeah, as much feedback as you can give me on how to make this better or how to enhance it, I'm open to. So thank you so much, you guys. All right. Have an amazing day. I'll see you in a bit. Bye-bye. With anyone who you think would find value from it, and thank you. Have an amazing day, and do not forget who are you, warrior. I'm strong. I'm powerful. I'm a warrior. And I'm ready for what's next today. Yes, you are. Have an incredible day. Bye.